0: Good morning. Trenton, will you grab the, the podium, pulpit, coffee table, I don't know, Ikea specialty. It is fantastic to see everybody here. My parents are away at an anniversary trip celebrating 35 years of marriage. They went off to the Great Smoky Mountains where we can't find them. and They said, don't try to call them unless somebody's dead or on fire, and even then, try first. So what is next Sunday? Next Sunday is Palm Sunday. Sunday after that is Easter. Somehow, it seems like we just had Easter last year when all of the madness started, and we're already right back again this year. There's still eggs in the yard from last year because social distancing kept us from hunting them. I would not want to find last year's Easter egg. It'd probably be stinking a little bit. Uh, today I want to talk about, uh, I, I, today's sermon is titled 33. And no, it's not because it was my brother's football number, even though I'm sure he is thrilled to death about that. Uh, it, it's It's because I want to talk about who Jesus was while he was here, before Easter, before Palm Sunday, before he rode in on a donkey and people laid all the palm branches at their feet but if he was in the south it'd be like pine needles they'd put on their feet because we all grew up in that church that had the, the the palm tree that was there like forever that was just plastic and somehow it still looked unhealthy in palm sunday they'd set that bad boy right over here on the stage halfway through the sermon a limb would just kind of just give up hope no that's not what we're talking about today the uh, the scripture comes from Luke 4. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, me being Jesus, because he anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and set free the oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, when Jesus said this, uh, He's basically giving his resume at this point of what he's here to do. He's saying, listen, I came to get some work done. You know, Jesus spent most of his life just living as an average guy, if you think about it. I mean, he didn't begin his ministry till just a few years before he was crucified. So 30 years go by, and Jesus is just a carpenter. He made tables and chairs and whatever else carpenters would make. I'm sure he made some nice porch benches maybe some swing sets, whatever he made, Jesus Jesus was just the regular guy. And we don't talk about that a whole much because we, quite frankly, don't have a ton of information. We don't know if Jesus was a really good carpenter. Jesus may not have been a great carpenter. I'm sure he was, but I mean, maybe there's a guy down the road that, you know, could do it for half the price and a better product, and we don't hear about that guy. But when Jesus shows up, he gets baptized, right? That's the first thing we really see happening about Jesus. Jesus is like, I need to get baptized to begin the ministry. At that point, we see Jesus making a proclamation of who he is, which is what he's saying here. Jesus, first off, makes a proclamation saying, I'm baptized. We see the dove fly down from the heaven, which is a symbol of God's approval. And he says, this is my son and who I am well pleased. Many of us have heard this story. And to this very day, we still participate in water baptism. We set up the pool in the middle of the sanctuary. Uh, we What's so cool about it though is there's been several times we've had to become unconventional with baptism we've had people that literally could not go underwater we've had people that were unable to walk and we still took place in baptism of one form or another in baptism there's no inherent power just going underwater and coming back up in fact, most Pentecostal baptisms, someone nearly drowns when it goes down. Go under, you come up, coughing and screaming. They're like, "It's the Lord!" I'm like, "No, it's choking." There's no inherent power just going underwater because you know if you're at the beach, you can go underwater and come back up, and it's just you know you just need air. But what baptism represents is a public declaration of a life change, or of our faith. And I believe that Jesus, if he felt the need that he needed to make that public declaration, we should always follow in his steps and do the same. Water baptism is important. And in, in, in if you ever get the chance to go to a seminary or a Bible college, there's always that one paper you have to write that, can you go to heaven if you haven't been baptized? And I've heard people argue this over and over and over again. And I think, quite frankly, we just need to stop arguing over it. Because nobody who has ever argued about if you're baptized, you get to go to heaven, ever decided if somebody was going to heaven or not. But does that make it any less important? If you're physically able to get baptized, should you? Absolutely. Because that is a public declaration. In Life Point, we say we're going public. We're coming and saying that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. We're representing his death, burial, and resurrection in water baptism. And so, the first and most important thing in our walks with Christ, I believe, is a public declaration. We need to tell people and show people that something happened. Because Jesus did it. You know there's a there's a song we would teach kids in Sunday school, th- this little light of mine, hide it under a bushel, no, I'm going to let it shine. I'm not going to sing the rest because I need y'all to come back. But we need to be vocal about our faith. Because quite frankly, if something good happens to you, we're we're going to talk about it, correct? any good if i find a dollar i'm telling everybody i know and then my wife's like that's my dollar you know if something cool happens <laughs> if something cool happens we tell everybody but when we somehow find that we have become just absolutely radically changed by the power of an almighty god we're like we don't want to start an awkward conversation i don't like to talk about religion at work You know, don't want to make people uncomfortable. Listen, we make people uncomfortable every day. Let's just go ahead and add faith to that list. It's okay. Listen, I got a borderline mullet. I make people uncomfortable, okay? It's okay. But our public declaration needs to be something that's part of our life. And when Jesus said, he said, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Because, and he's saying, when he says because, he's like, I know this because he anoints me to preach the good news to the poor. And when he's talking about poor, he's not just talking about people that don't have a lot of money. Jesus is talking about the poor in spirit. You can be loaded and poor in spirit to proclaim freedom to the captives because. If you've been captive and set free, you're probably going to tell some people. You know, if if my dog gets out of the fence, he's going to go say hey to everybody in the neighborhood. Unashamedly jump, just go absolutely crazy because he was captive and then been set free. He's probably going to find something to show, so be like, "Look what I can do. Look what I can do." And that's the kind of excitement I think we should have when we've been captive and then set free. But what my favorite thing Jesus did was when Jesus he was baptized and he made the declaration, which is where a lot of us get really good at. We get on fire, we go to a church event, we go to a winter fest, we go to a church camp, we go to some marriage retreat, something, and it's easy to get on fire. You know, if you send somebody to, you know, an Amway conference, you can get excited about selling something, and then you come back and you're like, nah, I don't know, It's it's easy to get excited. We, as people, naturally want to be excited about things. That's why everything on TV is driven for an excited emotion. That's why everything we want to do is exciting. So when we get excited, it's easy to go and want to tell people about something. But then when the work starts... It gets a little difficult. But what I love about what Jesus did is when the work started, his first miracle was basically his only miracle that was like a non-necessary miracle. If you, uh, I encourage you, you can actually just punch in Google. Punch in just Jesus' miracles in order. And starting with the number two, it's always like cast it out of demon, heal the blind, healed the sick, raise from the dead, uh, you know, heal the deaf, did all these amazing things. But what's miracle number one? He turned water into wine. I'm going to say that wasn't necessarily because everybody needed some more wine. They drank all the wine and Jesus is like, watch this. Because something tells me, if you don't drank all the wine, you probably don't need any more wine. I remember when I was a kid, they're like, you know, it wasn't actually wine. It was grape juice. No, it wasn't. It was not grape juice. Jesus wouldn't walk around with a bottle of ocean spray. And there's scripture to prove that. Why does it say, do not put New wine and old wineskins. just because it's wine, not grape juice. So, we're at the wedding. Everybody has been drinking a lot of wine, which I'm not condoning, people of the internet. But, so, everybody's been, and Jesus shows up, and they're like, we're out of wine. And Jesus is like, this is a good time to start making people pay attention. So he takes these giant jugs of water, and one thing that we do know is that, okay, so in year one, roughly, there's not a whole lot of sanitary water, which is the reason why there was always wine, because wine is shelf-stable. Water, if you just take a bucket of water, take take a bucket of water, set it in your house and see how long you want to drink it in July in Georgia, okay? So imagine there's that bucket of water. Now, what... Why would they have buckets of water? Well, later on in scripture we see Jesus talking about washing people's feet, and some scholars tell us that the water that Jesus used to turn into wine wasn't just some water that someone ran down to the well and pumped. It was probably the water they were using to wash people's feet with. That was some funky water, like literally like used bath water. Turn it into wine. And so imagine with me, we're all we're all hanging out at the the chili cook-off in October that we always have. That we always have a blast at. And somebody comes running up and they're like, hey, um, Brother Mikey, we got a we got a serious problem. We're out of chili. We, we got the crackers, we got the cheese, we got the Tabasco, but we're out of chili. I'm like, okay. And then somebody comes up and goes, watch this. And we're like, what's this guy about to do? And he walks over and picks up a bucket of kale. Nobody wants to touch this stuff. It's kale. It's rabbit food. And some of y'all are like, kale's good for you. You know what? So is running, and I don't do that either. Someone takes a bucket of kale and shoves it in a crock pot and before you can realize it, it's a cotton picking bowl of chili. And everybody's going to be like, hang on, did he just turn that kale into chili? Hold up. And we're already full of chili, but you're like, I need to try some of that chili. He just turned kale into chili. I got to try this chili. For the rest of your life, people are going to be following him, you around, going, almost if he's going to turn this kale into chili again, he might have chili with him. People are going to pay attention when you do something crazy like that. So for the rest of Jesus' career, they're like, are y'all going to go hear Jesus speak? Who? The guy that turned the foot water into wine. Oh yeah, we're going. Might get some free wine. Might get to see something crazy happen. Jesus made such an insane statement from the get-go that it made people pay attention. And I'm not saying that we need to go out and supply more wine to a party. But there's something that's happened in your life that is so insane, that is such a radical life change, that there's something you started or stopped doing that people would never believe, that when they see it happen, they're gonna pay attention. There's something that you can do. There's something that you can stop doing. There's something that you can start doing. There's something that you have the ability to do. There's a ministry in your heart. There's an idea in your head that you want to do. That if you started, people would pay attention. We've had too many things at life Point that started off as like, you know, I really don't feel like this is going to work and it's just an idea I have in my heart and it exploded. We've never had a ministry that someone's like, I really prayed about this and thought about it and want to start it and we'd be like, kind of sounds like a dud. Never once. We've seen too many people have radical life change through Jesus Christ. Want to start something new, start something new, and people paid attention, and other people were highly blessed and had their lives changed because of it. When you do something crazy, even if it's unconventional, it makes people pay attention. You know, I think that when he says, set the captives free, recovery of sight to the blind, set free the oppressed, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He says, first of all, he's going to preach the good news. So he's going to tell people. He's going to tell people that you're free. He's going to recover the sight to the blind. When he talks about recovery of sight to the blind, I think he's saying you're going to see something new. It's not necessarily a physical healing, but let me tell you something. People are going to physically see something new in you. My favorite thing Clint says is people always ask him, why are you always smiling? It makes a difference. Christian people shouldn't be walking around. I used to get so, I worked at Chick-fil-A for a long time. And listen, if you're sad at Chick-fil-A, that's on you. But people would come through and just, there's these like 16-year-old girls working in the drive-thru, just smiling, just going to, doing what they're doing and these people would just give them the hardest time because there was too much ice in their lemonade and they drive away and I'd see what church they went to on their bumper sticker I'm like there you go don't let me catch a life point person in a drive-thru acting up with a sticker I worked in customer service too long and my filter is too thin and there's some people you need to worry about more than me some people got less of a filter than I do, and we don't give them microphones. Explain. But we 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 want people to see something new in us, and we think that we can put a sticker on our car or a fish in the window or whatever we do, and we're like we're just gonna wear the, you know, duds, and people are gonna know that we're saved. But we don't reflect it on our face and our actions. You know I. I've heard the story too many times about the worst time for waiters and waitresses is Sunday after church. And I'm sick and I know that the internet is what it is and people like to share negative but like I'm sick of seeing like really bad tips and then comments with scripture underneath. That doesn't help anybody see the light of Christ. Cuz when I read the Bible when Jesus showed up to eat at people's houses he was washing their feet. Not complaining that it took too long for me to get my Diet Coke and therefore you get a $1 tip on a $50 meal. I remember there was one time, and I've worked at a couple different Chick-fil-A, so it's not like a, I'm not going to tell you which one it was, but I worked at one and I had to go set up this huge meal at a church. I mean huge, like they had got, I mean, all this food that was all but donated. And me and one other person showed up. We set everything up. We cleaned up. And there was this lady. And I don't know who she was. But the whole time was just fussing about how long it was taken. Fussing about how this didn't look right. How we didn't bring enough tablecloths. How this, and I'm like, this is all free. And just absolutely. And I'm like, thank goodness. I'm sound enough in my faith to know that you're doing a very bad job at yours. Because if they, just because you work at Chick-fil-A doesn't mean you necessarily know Jesus. So if someone's only glimpse of the Savior of humanity is you walking into his turf and getting fussed at for someone doing something kind to you, What kind of message does that send? Is that someone being able to see something new? When Jesus was on the earth, he was in a constant mode of service. He was in a constant mode of trying to let people see who he was and who the light of the world is and show people that he had a message of hope and grace and peace and freedom And as he's performing these miracles, and I love when Jesus kind of got cocky about the miracles. And cocky is the wrong word, but I don't know all the Greek words they used. It's the closest English word I can think of. But when they're like, Jesus, you got to look at this. And he's like, it'll be all right. I'll be there. No, you got to. I'll be there. Because listen. Jesus knew he had everything under control. So Jesus didn't freak out. Jesus never freaked out. The disciples freaked out. One of the disciples freaked out and cut someone's ear off. And Jesus is like, chill, man. I told you this was going to happen. Why? You got the sword. And so another thing, when he's talking about. Freedom from the captives. So many of us have been set free from so many things. And we've come so far and we're like, we trust God. And then something happens and we're freaking out. I know I should pray about this, but I just need to freak out about it for a second. It's okay to freak out as a Christian. It's okay. It really is okay. Just freak out on the inside. Because if we preach a message of gospel that Jesus did, about how he gives a peace that passes all understanding and we're freaking out about nothing. Like, oh Lord, there's no toilet paper. That's something okay to freak out about. Okay? We can freak out about no toilet paper. But When we we talk about our Facebooks is where I see most of this happen. And the only reason I'm on Facebook is because they got like a constant yard sale on there and I can't stay away. But if you're on Facebook, you see people just like, well, we done found the next Antichrist. There's prophets of doom all over Facebook. And I'm like, y'all, stop sharing that stuff. And I'm so glad I go to a church where we don't do that for the most part. I'm so glad I go to church where people share such great and uplifting things and there's devotional shit. Like every morning I can scroll down and there's just like all these uplifting things that come from LifePoint people and it's I'm so encouraged and proud to be at a place that does that. But so often we say that we're in tune with the God that has peace that passes all understanding and we see a post on Facebook that just says, warning, long rant ahead. You know what I do? Don't read it right on past it. If there's ever a but tab that says see more, not going to happen. Not worth it. But we're reflecting Christ in everything that we do and people are watching us. People watch Jesus very closely because first of all, He did something that made people pay attention. And if we take that step to do something that's going to make people pay attention, we have to watch what we do. And am I saying you have to act exactly like Jesus? That's the goal. Are we going to? No. I mess up. I mess up a lot. I do dumb things sometimes. No amen for my wife needed. I drop the ball and so do all of us. But being able to recognize that we drop the ball and being able to recognize that We're not perfect, and not Jesus is a large part of our spiritual walk. That's called spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. It's being able to learn that we messed up and be able to to recover and grow from it. There's never been a job that you had that you started off and were great and perfect at it from the get-go. There was always a learning curve no matter what job you started. At some point, you messed up at your job, and somebody else had to pick up the slack and help you along and it doesn't matter what it was. Every new thing you've taken on, there was a learning curve to it. Everybody messes up. And it's okay. That's part of learning and growing. When my child entered the world, I didn't expect her just to know everything from the get-go. There, took, there was a time of growing and learning where she, like, she knows how I to do three things. Eat, sleep, and poop. Did them very well. Very well. But over time, there's a learning curve. But once she learns something, I expect her to continue doing what I know she already learned. Even though she's very young, she knows not to climb on the back of the couch. But she tries to do it anyways. And so when she gets punished for it, she knows what why why she was punished. She knows why she got popped on the leg. Excuse me, I can't say that because we're in 2021. She got sent in her safe corner. Because she did something she wasn't supposed to. But the whole reason we have to learn and grow from these mistakes, and sometimes there's correction, is so we don't do it again. And so in the end, we don't fall off the back of the couch and break our arm. It's okay to have a learning curve and for there to be correction. Because Jesus said, I came to proclaim freedom to the captives, recover sight to the blind. I'm going to let you see things that you've never seen before. I'm going to let you learn things that you've never learned before. I'm going to take you to places you never thought you could go. People want to call you mentally unstable and depressed and lonely and whatever other term is popular at the time, but I called you free, set apart, and made with a purpose exactly how I meant for you to be. I'm proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. I'm saying that this next year coming up is going to be different for you than the last one. I'm saying that whatever going forward is going to be very different from what's behind us. That's the message that Jesus came to preach. He didn't come to talk and point out flaws and say, this is what's wrong with all you people. Because he could have. He was Jesus. If anybody had a right to do that, it was Jesus. He didn't show up be like, I got a lot of problems with you people. First off, what's with all the kale? No, Jesus came in and said, listen, yes, we're doing some things wrong, but let me teach you, let me show you, let me love you, let me sit down and eat with you, let me be a servant to you and show you through actions that speak louder than words. There's a man who said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. And let me tell you, when we're going into Easter, and Palm Sunday, and we talk about Jesus' triumphant entry, and we talk about His death, burial, and resurrection. We talk about all these things coming up. I feel like sometimes we get to Jesus rose from the dead and saved you from your sins, and we stop there. And I want us to be a church that focuses on the work. Am I saying you have to work your way into heaven? Absolutely not. Am I saying that you, you, you God's going to think of you less if you're not out there selling all your possessions and just absolutely living a lifestyle of like a Buddhist monk and just wearing a towel and proclaiming? No. What I'm saying is if faith without works is dead, I'm going to work as hard as I can to make sure my faith is as strong as it can possibly be. I'm going to make sure that if someone has made the decision to live a lifestyle away from Christ and forfeit their life, it's not going to be because I didn't do everything in my power to keep that from happening. It's not going to be because I was a stumbling block for somebody else. It's not going to be because I was too proud to admit I was wrong and let somebody else suffer for it. It's not going to be because I took my bad day out on somebody who had nothing to do with it. It's not going to be because I think that I'm so much better than somebody else. It's going to be because I want to show the light of Christ and I may annoy them to death. I heard a man who was a total atheist say one time, he said, if you see a bus coming to run over somebody, eventually you're just going to tackle them so they don't get hit by the bus. How much do you have to hate somebody to let them get hit by the bus? I'm afraid that as a society of Christians, we are letting a lot of people get hit by buses because it's too inconvenient, too awkward, and too politically incorrect. I passed to high school. So going forward into Easter, I encourage everybody to do one thing, and this is super easy. It's easy. Invite someone to church. The most popular day for people to go to church for the first time is Easter Sunday. The second most popular is Mother's Day. So if there's ever a time somebody was going to come to church with you, it is going to be in two weeks from today. We have literally, you have two weeks to make one person decide to come to church. It's not, it's easy to invite people to church. Do you want to go to church? No. All right, let's find somebody else. We have no excuse these next two weeks not to try to at least make an attempt for someone to hear the message of who Christ was. We're gonna live stream it absolutely. But I want to see this building packed out. I don't care about social distancing if it means someone's gonna hear the gospel of Christ. I don't I don't I don't care about six feet apart if it means someone's spending forever in heaven. The easiest thing we can do is invite somebody to church, and it doesn't matter where we're at in our spiritual walk. To invite somebody to come to the same church that we go to. Coming up here, and this is I'm probably not supposed to say this, yet, but we're gonna we're revamping the growth track class. We sent basically almost everybody through it, which was awesome. I didn't think anybody was gonna come. I thought maybe like four or five people. You know, and then it would be kind of okay. Well, well, when people have nowhere else to go, but like we sent like the entire church through Growth Track, basically, like almost, and it was fantastic. But we're going to revamp it, and so this coming year is going to be a better time than ever for people who have not heard the gospel and are new to faith to start their spiritual walk, to be able to get some legs to stand on. Whether you've been here forever and you're just you've been an absolute saint for your entire life or you're brand new to the faith, this coming year at LifePoint is going to be a fantastic time to get started in your spiritual walk. We're going to make sure we're equipping people with resources and knowledge in a way that we never have before. And I personally am going to make sure that that happens. This past year was crazy. Let's make this next one crazier in the name of God. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for today and your wonderful many blessings. Help us to be able to proclaim your name loud and proud. Help us to be able to go forward with a mission of servitude. Help us to commit our hearts to the message of Christ. Help us to live lives that would reflect your son. And right now, as as, as you're in your seats, if you want to take a few minutes just to pray about something or take a few minutes to seek God about an area of your life that you want to be stronger in, I just want us to have just a few minutes of quiet just to do that. As we're coming up on Easter and we're coming up on Palm Sunday and we're reflecting on who Christ was, let's take just a minute and reflect on who Christ is to us and what we can do. Heavenly Father, thank you once again for who you are to us. Help us to go forward speaking your name as loud as possible and help us to always remember why we do what we do. And everybody said, Amen. you have a great week.